welcome to the Whiskey and Wool Podcast. And welcome back to the Whiskey and Wool Podcast. This is Ben with me is David. How you doing today, David? All right, doing all right. Good deal. And we are here to talk about another female singer-songwriter, Margot Price, and her, um, and honestly, I don't know, I'll have to double-check that, because I didn't think about it when I was looking it up the first time. Um, it looks like her first studio album, Midwest Farmer's Daughter. Yep, released in 2016. Yep. Runtime of 43 minutes with 11 tracks. And the players on this album, and there are quite a few, so you're going to have to bear with me a little bit to get through them. Um, it looks like every song, except for a couple, were written by the duo of Jeremy Ivey and Margot Price. Um, the opening track, Hands of Time, was just written by Margot, and then How the Mighty Have Fallen was written by Mark Friedson. Everything else is Ivey and Price, with this exception of Hurting on the Bottle, which Caitlin Rose and Mark Friedson joined Ivy and Price in writing. With that said, here are some of the players. They have Alex Munoz plays acoustic guitar on a, a track. Jeremy Ivy plays guitar on three of the tracks. Margot plays acoustic guitar on three of the tracks. Mark Ross Spring plays acoustic wall-wall guitar on a track. Um, the backing vocals on the album are handled by Alex Munoz, Eric Whitman, Kevin Black, Kristen Weber, and Marco Price, and some overdubs. Jeremy Ivey is the bassist. Lorenzo Mestro is on cello. Alex Munoz plays dobro. Dylan Napier plays drums. Jamie Davis plays electric guitar. Michael Hulsher plays electric piano. Piano. I don't know why I fucked that up, but anyway, electric piano. Kristen Weber plays fiddle. Jeremy Ivey also handles the harmonica duties. Uh, Joshua Headley, Christian Weber, and Marco Price again with some overdubs is handled the harmony vocals. Alex Munoz plays mandolin. Um, Micah Hulshire plays organ. Luke Schneider plays the pedal steel guitar. Dillian Napier handles the percussion. Michael Hulshire plays the regular piano as opposed to the electric piano. And Eleanor Dinig and Christian Weber trade off violin duties on. Tracks one and track seven. So that's a lot of people in the pot. Yeah, uh, it's even got multiple engineer and producers too. <laughs> Alex Munoz and Matt Ross Spang. Yeah, no, it's um, a lot went into this album. I will it was say... recorded at uh, Sun Studios in Memphis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought that was cool. And then redubbed it at the bomb shelter in Nashville. Um, oh, so it was recorded live to analog tape. Hmm. Okay. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. That, that doesn't happen very much anymore. <laughs> no, not really. I will say that with that many people on an album, it doesn't sound like there's that many people. It actually does just sound like a band playing, um, which, I mean, I guess, you know, you're just exchanging session musicians effectively, like in the old days at Sun. So that shouldn't be that surprising. But normally, when I see that many people involved in an album, you can usually tell it listening to it. And I didn't think you could here. 
Um, yeah, just listening to this album, I wouldn't realize that many different people played on it. I, I yeah, I knew I could I could tell from listening to it that it was the same drummer throughout the album because mm-hmm. he's got this little he's got this little thing that he likes to do a lot with the ride symbol where he hits the bell of the ride symbol. Yeah, and and it's in almost every song, so I, I figured I figured it was the same drummer throughout. Yeah, no, that was the only thing that didn't really switch out. But I mean, usually when guitarists switch out like that, and maybe it's because they're on multiple tracks and that's what threw me off. But usually when you bring in a guitarist, you can tell a difference in the guitar. But with this switching out back and forth, and granted, it's acoustic guitar, so unless they were doing flamenco style or finger style every time they they, they were brought in i might not have noticed it um i thought they were able to do that fairly seamlessly and even the two different um at least i think they had two different electric guitars come in i i didn't really notice anything yeah i wonder if uh they had those guys uh all use like the same setup that way they would sound the same kind of yeah maybe so I mean, I've seen Sun Studios, and it isn't that big, so um, not that that has anything to do with it, but that also might be it, that they just have certain personnel in at the same time. Right. All right. But um, it says here on our Wikipedia page that uh, this album debuted at number 10 on the Billboard Top Country Albums chart. The first time in history of the chart, a solo female has debuted in the top 10 with her first release without actually, also having any history of the Hot Country Songs chart. Okay. <laughs> I think that's an important caveat. <laughs> so I was like, what? Um, yeah. No, it's still impressive. I mean, I mean, good for her. It's pretty awesome. Right. If you look at, and you'll see it, but if you look at the packaging for this album, it looks like old country. Yeah, it looks like wow. old country, and uh, like I was telling you before we started recording, when she uh, performed on Saturday Night Live, she was wearing an old-fashioned dress that looked straight out of the 70s or 80s and had the hairdo and everything. So, yeah. No, I think that's that's really cool. Um, I don't know if we said the label, but it's Third Man Records, just to give that a shout-out. I don't really know anything about that record label, but... I read somewhere that this was the first country album ever released on that label. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know anything about that label either, but. Marco has a great voice. I really like her singing. Um, that was one of the strengths of the album. To me, it was just her voice. Obviously, since she was a songwriter on every track on this album at once. She's a pretty good songwriter too. I've already said that I thought the multitude of players actually sounded like a band instead of just basically being session guys. So uh, yeah, I was pretty impressed all the way around. Yeah, um, her voice is great and and I, I love the bass playing and the drumming on this album. I, they they were yeah. they were getting down back there in the background. <laughs> no, they were, um, and, and that to me is another throwback to that late seventies, early eighties country sound. It's just how active the basses was, but 
still being in a support role and keeping the groove down. But I mean, there was a lot of really active bass lines going on. Yeah, stylistically, she reminds me a lot of Loretta Lynn. Yeah, I think she cultivates that too. Just from looking at the the pictures of her, I've seen. It doesn't help that she's also a brunette like Loretta, but I mean, she dresses similar, and um, I don't think she really sounds anything like Loretta, but she sings in a similar style. No, she doesn't sound like her. It's just the the style, the way she delivers the songs and stuff that reminds me of her, and some of the attitude she has in some of the songs. And yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> I guess if we can transition over to talking about the songs now. Um, yeah. Um, man, this album, it starts out in the first, like, five tracks. Just come at you pretty hard, in my opinion. No, it kind of slows down a little after that. But in the, in the second half, you've still got Hurting on the Bottle. It's a great song. Mm-hmm. And then the yeah. last track, Desperate and Depressed. Yeah. Um, and, and on that second side, you know, How the Mighty Have Fallen, that's a good song. Um, yeah, that, that one's got a good good vocal melody in it. So, yeah, uh, I, again, much like the album we discussed last week, Sarah Shook and this, this, this Armors, I don't think there's a song on here that I don't like. And it's actually kind of interesting because when I gave this album my first listen through because of Margot's voice, I actually liked it better than I did the Sarah Shook album. As I listened to it more, I, it, they kind of got closer together. But my initial impression, again, just because of the dynamics of her voice, was that I liked it more. Yeah, yeah. At, at... And I, I think she's a fantastic lyric writer, too. Yeah. I love the, uh, and since you put me down, I love that line about, I killed the angel on my shoulder with a fifth of Evan Williams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, there's all kinds of little lyrical flourishes in there like that I like. Yeah. And then the whole, well, the whole track about no, a weekender, about going to jail on the weekends and stuff. Yeah. That was, yeah. That, no, that was, was great. So good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or, uh, well, Four Years of Chances would be another one mm-hmm. that had a ton of great lyrics. I mean, just, yeah. And the thing about it is, and I, there's something about her delivery that if you were to look at the lyrics and read them, they would have a a sense of irony to them that isn't really there in her delivery. Her delivery makes them seem like sincere observations even though they are still ironically written um and just that ability to to which it helps if you write it and can sing like she does i mean it be, <laughs> but um just that ability to take something that is so obviously biting and but still make it heartfelt yeah, is impressive yeah um yeah, I, I I love her voice and her her wit. She has a a newer song that's not on this album called "It's Not Drunk Driving." If you're riding a horse, <laughs> right? 
Yeah, no, she's fantastic. Um, this is a fantastic album. I'm really glad that you suggested that we do this one. And the last one, too, for that matter. But... Yeah, it's crazy the number of accolades this album released. American Songwriter put it as number three for the top 50 albums of 2016. Uh, Entertainment Weekly had it number two for the best country albums of 2016. Um, Rolling Stone had it three out of the 40 best country albums of 2016. So, and that's just a highlight. There's a ton more of these. Yeah. Like that. I didn't realize it was that well received, but I don't usually pay attention to the awards shows and stuff. I actually um, think that's how I found it was uh, really? was one of those Rolling Stone lists, and I was like, who? I've never heard of her, and went and listened yeah. to it. Cool. Definitely check it out. This is a, uh, especially if you do like that um, songs from the style of Loretta Lynn, or um, again, like we were talking about. Oh, shit, now they're all starting to run together, and I don't remember exactly who it was. Anyway, if you like that late 70s, early 80s sound of country music, not necessarily outlaw country or anything like that, but just country music, check this out, because this is this really ticks all those boxes. Yeah, I mean, Loretta Lynn, Barbara Mandrell, you know, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yep. She'd fit right in with them. Catherine Taylor, yeah, all those. Uh, I could see her up there in her plaid flower, her patent flower dress, singing along with them. And her voice would, <laughs> is as good, if not better, than some of those people we just mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Than, the only one of those people that might hold a candle to her when it comes to songwriting is Loretta Lynn. Yeah, no. I think so. Uh, Loretta was a great songwriter. And oh, yeah. Palmer Mand and the Mandrell sisters were good singers. And I honestly, because I wasn't paying attention back when I was listening to them when I was seven and eight years old, um, whether they wrote the songs or not, I really don't know. I'd have to go back and look. But yeah, I'd have to I, go back, look, back and look that up, too. I'm not sure Mandrell ever wrote any of her songs. I'm not. I'd bet, you know, she may yeah. have. Maybe yeah, surprised. Maybe. That's true. Yeah. At the time, I thought everybody wrote their songs. I didn't know that there was this thing called songwriting. <laughs> I just assumed yeah. that if you were doing it, you wrote it. So Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, um, definitely check it out. All right, let's grade this thing. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to come in on an A- minus on this one, because like I said, the second half drug a little bit for me, even though the songs are good. It just didn't have the, the fire that the first half did. Yeah, that's also where I'm going to wind up falling just at an A-. minus. Like I said, initially, I, I liked it a little bit better than Sarah Shook and the Disarmers because of Price's voice. But like you, uh, whereas, again, I think every track on this album is good, there is a little bit of variance in the consistency of them that wasn't there on Sarah Shook and the Disarmers album. So an A-. minus. Uh, still a really standout album that you should listen to. So now it's the moment of truth, and unlike a lot of times, we haven't talked about this beforehand. What are we going to do next week? Um, the only album we've talked about is revisiting Brent Cobb and doing Providence Canyon, his newest release. Yeah. I'd like to do that. That sounds like a plan. So, so it shall be, I guess. <laughs> so check it with us next week when we do our first artist revisit. 